0: Still trying to herd all those ducks into a nice, neat row before you get started with your business or project? Maybe you've already started, but your fear is stopping you from up-leveling. Or maybe you've spent your life saying yes to everyone else, but committing to yourself is still on your to-do list. Hi, I'm Claire Barton, and I'm a recovering perfectionist too. Welcome to the show where I share simple, practical, and mindset tips to get you doing work you're passionate about, making the money you want, and spending your time and energy building your dream lifestyle. Hello, Recovering Perfectionists, it's Claire here and I'm joined by the lovely Lisa Kennedy. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Claire. Lovely to meet you. Um, so, Lisa is a copy coach and copywriting launch specialist, which absolutely floats my boat and ticks all my buttons because I love all the things around copywriting and I love all the things around launch. So, I can't wait for us to have a bit of a chat about you and what you do and also some of your amazing adventures, which caught my eye on social media and hence why we've connected. I
1: can't wait to
0: fill you in and um,
1: talk yeah, adventure, copy and launching.
0: All the amazing things. So Lisa, can you give us a bit of a rundown about who you are and what you do and what your biz journeys looked like thus far and all the other things? Tell us about you as a recovering perfectionist as well.
1: Oh, Thanks Claire. So I'm originally um, UK um, born, came over here after training to be a nurse and um, my career journey is really one of those um, that just can't be nailed down in any small box. So um, trained as a nurse, decided no nursing isn't for me, Um, went back to uni, studied and came out with my English literature degree and thought I'd change the world and actually found People don't pay for people to do much with English literature. Um, so I thought, OK, where to from here? a door opened, which was into neonatal intensive care nursing. So I went back into nursing and um, studied to, you know, look after those Premier babies. Um, And at that point then had my own children. Um, So that was really at the turning point. When I became a stay-at-home mum for a while, I was restless. I loved the role of mothering, but I was restless and I was looking for more. And that's when I started my first business, which was um, telling stories and selling through stories, um, importing international art and sculptures and selling those to um, people, telling the stories of where they came from. And it's only with hindsight that I realised that's what I was doing. At the time, I was just doing what came naturally, telling, you know, sharing these amazing journeys with people. So I went and retrained as a teacher and um, was in primary school teaching for five years and absolutely loved um, creating you know those safe inclusive communities where children could really thrive um but I came to a a crossroads where I had an opportunity to um step out and travel with my family for three months we wanted to adventure around the top end of Australia and um I didn't have my long service leave at that time and so that crossroads was um commit to teaching and just leave that traveling dream to one side or actually um had my notice in, um, which I was desperately sad to do because permanency was like the holy grail of teaching and uh, help on the adventure. And um, off we went. So that's what I did. And during that time, I started blogging. I started a travel blog. And at that point, I realized that teaching had become you know i would become so consumed with my career as a teacher that I'd forgotten to love and live and really just step outside of those boundaries and the writing really reconnected me to where I wanted to go and hence I started then thinking around if I don't want to go back into teaching what am I going to do now I've already been a nurse and I've been a teacher and most people are really settled and happy with those career options and now I'm still restless and saying I want more what's wrong with me (laughs) and to uh, I, my, you know, I started my own business, which was Stella Polaris Copywriting, and um, launched into marketing copywriting. And have since then um, set up my second business, which is Lisa Kniebe Coaching. So um, that sort of brings me to where I am today.
0: What an absolutely awesome story! I really love. Um this, when people have stories where they've tried this and they've tried that and they haven't felt like oh well, i've you know spent three years at uni so I might as well you know just keep doing this or whatever because I think we do so many people go and get a degree or they get a qualification or they start a career and they feel like if they don't continue with it it's a waste of time and it's made everything else a waste but um you know when you get to the to a point where there's an opportunity of something that you really want it's it is really hard because there's like this um, social status and this internal yearning for a lot of people to have the stability and the security and the um, the normality and that sort of thing, but also this sense of adventure. And I know it's something I definitely struggle with being a bit of an introvert and I'm a Virgo and I you know, like to have my ducks in a row and I like to know what's kind of coming next and I'm a planner by nature and I'm an organiser and all that sort of thing. Um, But I also have this big yearning for adventure and it's a a really tricky thing for me. I find always going like, oh, that sounds like so much fun. That's really irresponsible and I definitely shouldn't do it. Oh, but it sounds like so much fun. Yeah, but you'll lose a lot of money. Oh, but it sounds like so much fun. Like I have this little, like the things and often it's probably the decision making thing and the time that it takes to make a decision that means the opportunity is gone by the time I'm ready to make the decision. So how did you kind of get to that point? You said like there was the option for you to go travelling and hand your notice in um, and whatnot. How did you, like what what happened for you to make you go, yep, here's my letter of resignation. I'm going, (laughs) going away for three months.
1: It was one of those. I, I'm very much a person like you. There's two. I have that sort of two sides: the Gemini and the Cancerian in me. So the Gemini just says, "Let's just do it," and the Cancerian says, "Yes, but," and and looks at all of those. You know, like you say, that's that safety, that future. But I love this thing. But um, this time, Gemini won out, and it was just a case of. It really was simply a case of saying. Um, my fam, this is the only time we as a family could leave and upsticks and go for, take a term out of school. Um, the kids, I had one um, son in year six and one in year eight. And I just felt like as soon as we moved into that next year, because the, the school said, if you wait a year, we can give you this unpaid leave. And it, it really is one of those sliding doors moments, because had I waited a year, I look back and I think, would I still be in teaching now? You know, where would I be now? But um, I, I, there was no waiting. It was now is the time, the only time. And um, it was that commitment to, you know, what's, the love of your life is the family and it's a case of what can I do with them what what how will this change our lives at home and how will cheap teaching versus you know continuing with a career that was um, you know that stable option so yeah it really was just a leap of faith and it was painful I have to say it was painful to hand in my notice on a job I loved and leave a class that I'd nurtured I had six months in that year and I had a class that were like Mrs. Ghanieby don't leave us they were only like year fours and it was like oh so What have I done? Yeah. And so I found they took a while. It took me at least the first two to three weeks of that road trip for my class to move out of my head and yeah. for my actual, for my own kids to find the space back inside there. Because sure. you, know, yeah. you really absorb everyone else's needs. So. Oh,
0: absolutely. I've got goosebumps all over because I can totally, I totally feel that when you, um, you know, something, if, I think as well, when you love the job that you're doing and you're not leaving because you don't get along with your boss or because you don't like the work anymore or whatever. It it's, it's a bittersweet, isn't it? Because it's a beautiful mm. thing to be able to leave somewhere not on bad terms, but also getting away from it and realising how, um, you said before, how involved you were with your career and how much that mm. actually becomes all the things that you kind of think about and worry about and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. that's really awesome. Absolutely. And so what happened for you while you were on this three-month thing? It was obviously not your very first adventure. You sound like You've had a very adventurous life leading up to that as well, but what, you know, once you'd made that commitment and you started doing the the travel and that sort of thing, what what happened you know from that for you
1: so the blogging i've never really heard of blogging up to that point so this is 2014 and um I, i started to think well we're going to be off road we were traveling um on dirt roads around the outback so we wanted to be we were super remote and we wouldn't have contact with people so i just wanted a way to be able to journal our way around but also for our uk family and australian friends to actually see what we were doing share the photos and share the fun and so so I started this blog on Blogger and um, just sort of got learned you know, the basics of the tech and um, put it together. And, and as we went, I found that initially it was um, oh, let's do the thing, and then oh, I might. The kids had to write a diary every night, because that was part of their like homeschooling. And um, I would write my blog; they'd write their diary. And. Suddenly, I found that you know we got about a month into it, and I was just loving the blogging. And it was around the storytelling aspect. So I found that I thought I'd be writing about the places we we saw and the cultural things, but actually we were always really that the real story was in the family's interaction in amongst those things. So it was you know how my husband's a real you know loves military precision and order, and how me and the kids are really quite chaotic, and um, there'd always be like little issues with who hadn't zipped something up or. Who hadn't done this, and so there was all the little fun stuff. And that was—I um, then started getting messages from people when we got into Wi-Fi. Messages would come in, and and it would be like, "Where's your next blog post?" And that's when I realized, "Oh, someone's reading these." <laughs> oh, it's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I made a thing. <laughs> and, yeah, and I realized that it's not actually—it's always a story about the people, um, and that's what brings it to life. It's what brings anything to life. So yeah, and from there we came once we, we came home. I, I thought I knew I wanted to jump into that that writing and um, I started another blog, but this time with a bit more savvy, you know, like, oh, I know what this blogging thing is and I, I think I'm going to do something with it. And I started one um, a parenting blog called Mummy to Mum, which... I set out to talk about what it's like to move from, because on that road trip, it was a real moment where I moved from being a mummy, you know, as kids call, little kids call you mummy, um, to literally the kids very consciously made a decision that they were um, too old to use mummy anymore, and they were going to call me mum. And I, those two letters that got chopped off, literally felt like I'd lost an arm and a leg. Totally. I was like, "What is going on with my world? I'm mummy," and the identity shift that occurred in moving from mummy to mum mm. was such a big one that it was the mileage in that blog. It was that internal discussion around, you know, what does this mean? And have I? Is my whole identity based on being mummy? Who am I outside of that? So yeah that's that's where I came
0: back to I'll just be over <laughs> here crying We've, um, we were just chatting before we started recording about the the difference between my kids are little your kids are teenagers now and it's like oh it just terrifies me not being needed as much as I'm like go and tie your own shoelaces one day they won't want me to tie their shoelaces and even that is devastating to me so, mm. oh um, gosh i can't even imagine
1: yeah I always remember the, the one of the most um, one of the poignant blogs that kind of got published elsewhere was one that said you never know you always know the first but you never know the last yep. the last time they'll be big enough to be picked up in your arms oh. you don't know <laughs> when that last time occurs until hindsight and yep. it was one of those moments that you realize that literally every single day has to count because you never know when that was the last time that thing was going to happen which i you know can be a bit depressing but actually can be quite an exciting way to live because you know
0: you've mm. got to
1: fill every day with the fun you want to have
0: oh stop i'm going to start bawling my eyes out
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah too early for that
0: <laughs> oh gosh totally um but no i totally i really get what you're saying i am um massive on um um Ceremony and that sort of thing. Like if it's going to be the last or the first, I want a party and I want everyone to know about it and I want to write it down in my journal and I want you know all the things. And something that I've had to really get over is going. Oh my gosh! Like and I realized it probably I don't know a year and a half or maybe a year ago. My son, who's six and a half, came out. I was doing some work on the couch. He came out. it wasn't feeling well and he fell asleep on me. And it was only then that I realized God, it's probably been a year and a half since he's fallen asleep on me and I hadn't even. I hadn't even noticed that yeah. this last, the last one had, had even happened. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it kind of threw me into a bit of a tailspin as well. But, yeah. yeah, like you said, I guess the turnaround of that is going, well, it could be. And we always talk about it could be your last day. And especially when, you know, there's people in, in our world who get sick or they pass away suddenly or not suddenly or whatever. And it just makes you think, like, God, let's reevaluate what's really important. But from that sort of point of view as well, going—it's it's not necessarily the last time I'm ever going to see you, but it's the last opportunity. Could be the last opportunity for this beautiful, um, connective experience and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. <gasps> oh, <okay. laughs> calm myself down over here. <laughs> so, um, something I would love for—well, I'd love to hear the story. I'm sure everyone else would as well—is your Kilimanjaro trek with your kids? Like, what? <laughs> Tell um, us about that. <laughs>
1: Oh so I found um when I became a mum that I was really adventurous in my teens and, and in my 20s and then I became a mum in my late 20s and I found that really brought out, you know, um, my protective mother stance, right? And um, I reigned in adventure in my life. Um, I just felt like it didn't feel like a safe thing for me to do. I was too precious and couldn't risk my, myself because my kids needed me and I couldn't risk my kids. So when about five years ago, when my husband, um, who never seemed to suffer from that issue at all, suddenly said um I've got a family adventure this was um it must have been just around the time that we were planning our traveling around Australia um I was like, that's enough. That's really satisfying. No, we're gonna go, let's go to Africa and climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And um, you know, initially I was like, what? What's Mount Kilimanjaro? You know, and when I realized what it was, I was like, not a chance. I remember saying distinctly to him and us and having one of those falling outs of like, no way, no, you can do that by yourself. That's not for me, and that's not for the kids. Um, so it really I find it a fascinating turnaround to the point where. We talked about it over time. I put it on my vision board for about two years running because I knew it was something I wanted to grow into. I didn't want to let go of the me that was the adventurous me pre kids. I wanted to bring her back, but I just didn't know how to get past that fear of of um, you know it wasn't going to be safe. So um, you know I put it on my vision board. I grew into the goal, and it started to become a reality. Um, about two years ago, where we actually started planning, realising the kids would be 15 and 18. So they would be, it felt like an age where they had physical capability. And in fact, it turned out, you know, they were far more capable than either of the adults. So, um, yeah, so that was great. And we started training in 2018, January. We committed financially to the adventure and started our training. But all of that year, um, I'm not a particularly, you know, I'm no gym junkie. I'm not a fitness fanatic. In fact, you have to really drag me out to get me doing stuff. And um, I was like, how am I going to do this? I cannot... I can't really see myself summiting this mountain, knowing it was um, you know, 5,895 meters high, and that it was going to be super low on oxygen. And everyone, when I watch the YouTube videos, everyone looks super young and super fit and toned. And I'm just like, that is so not me. So I just trained really hard. And um, every time I trained, I felt like I'm still not getting anywhere. I'm still out of breath and I'm still at sea level. Um, So once we got out to Africa, it was very much a case. um, I think we talked about that imperfect action. It was just, I'm going to just do this anyway and commit to the journey. And I'm trying to forget all the time and that perfectionist element around. I want to, you know, not just win, but I want to get to the summit. Like will this whole journey be meaningful if i don't summit how will i make it meaningful um because it almost felt like a failing if you didn't summit because the whole trip was about that so on that very first day when the first day was almost my worst day where i struggled i, I had to stop and you know it was just a nightmare and i could see the kids looking at me thinking oh no she's not gonna make it and i thought then I'm committing to just being present in every single moment of every single day. um, So that that's my journey and wherever that begins and ends will be what it is.
0: Um. Oh, oh, that is everything that you've just said then about not being a gym junkie and like dragging you out (laughs) and that sort of thing is really totally me. Exactly. And I feel like, I was also very adventurous and like lots of fun, and the you know one who was kind of leading the way of doing all the fun stuff, and same thing when I became a mom I was I just got really scared about stuff, and I was really scared about something happening to me and not being there for the kids and all something happening to kids and blah blah blah, all that sort of thing um, and I think the beautiful thing about the well the two things is when you commit to just being present and to enjoying the journey no matter what the outcome is, you kind of let go of all that shit because it doesn't really matter what happens as long as you're there and you're enjoying it, like the outcome we're so, so focused on, um, so attached on on a certain outcome usually that it actually makes the journey feel like harder work than it really needs to be or feel like it was, I don't know, just the pre-thought, but not actually part of the thing. Right. Yeah. Um, And if you, you know, all of the things that you've just said about committing to being present and committing to just like opening up and, and seeing what happens and that sort of thing, being there for the kids and whatnot, if you apply that just to Monday to Friday, slash Saturday and Sunday, <laughs> like whether you're doing climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or just doing life, it's kind of what it's all about, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ugh. And I think um, that journey and that experience made such a huge change in my life. Mm. Um, internally that I when I came back and, and you know that processing and reflection of um, mm. first of all there's the elation um, because putting one foot in front of the other for eight days does actually take you to the top of a mountain sure. so yep. you know that there's the elation but also then there's the processing of what did that mean for me and well why was it of, of such great significance mm. and I, I realized that um, you know we're all climbing mountains no mm. matter what they are um, and really that adventurous mindset um you don't have to be having an adventure like kilimanjaro or like traveling to the, the top end you you actually bring the adventurous mindset to the table every day mm. it's in you mm. and so it's that shift within you that says yes i you know, if you think what is adventure, it's that sense of being open to change mm. um, being prepared to take risks, um, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. <laughs> um, it's all of those things. Mm. And if you think about our business mindset, that's what we really need to bring to the table every single day.
0: Mm. So
1: yeah, that's why I think the experience has been so profound.
0: Yeah. One foot in front of the other. And <laughs> one foot in front of the other is such a big one, and I think um, something that um, that I've certainly struggled with, and I think a lot of people who would identify as a recovering perfectionist is the risk taking thing, like mm. how much risk are you willing to take and obviously on any uh, any day it's a little bit different, and on any certain situation or decision, it can be a little bit different and that sort of thing but yeah I think there's there's definitely um, uh, Something to be said about you know feeling feel, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, but also going actually I'm okay with taking this little bit of risk because I mean for me risk is about having somewhere safe to land. So if I feel like there's yeah. some some of the stuff's kind of you know here in place, and I've, I've often talked about it, and I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I um, I typically and in the past haven't been great with surprises or change or all that sort of thing. Like I like. know what's kind of coming next i'm not so bad anymore not so bad not so much that way anymore (laughs) but when i traveled typically i would i wouldn't do any of that sort of thing i had my lonely planet guide in my hand and i would just rock up at the train station and work out where to go next like i didn't feel like i needed to plan everything i didn't need to have everything organized which seems ridiculous because that's you know that was high risk and i don't like you might not have somewhere to sleep tonight but i had safety nets i had my passport my visa and my url and my my Um, hidden cash and my credit card (laughs) and my, you know, all these like I had everything else kind of organized so that there was like a safety net. If shit did hit the fan, it wasn't going to hit the fan that badly sort of thing. So for me it's probably a bit of the same with life and also with my business and that sort of thing that I I'm happy now to take some of these risks and to put it out there, partly because it's a trust the process thing. I've done it often enough with things that were safe enough and then kind of gradually worked up to things that were a bit more actually risky to go, oh, it did work and that was awesome or it didn't work and no one died so let's just get on with it and do the next thing. Like, Do you know what I mean? It, it's actually a yeah. process that you've got to kind of test the waters a little bit first and and do the small, adventurous, risky things to give yourself the confidence to do the next size-up one and so on and so forth. Yes, yeah. Mm.
1: And I think sometimes we try to – we overthink risk. Yes. So uh, we – when we feel afraid we'll try and rationalize through um oh you know it won't kill me it won't this it won't that but actually really we're often just paralyzed with fear literally just that paralysis sets in Mm -hmm. and sometimes the only way to overcome that i think is just um blind faith in action. So it's like, um, I'm gonna just do the thing. Everybody else says I should do the thing, so I'm just gonna do it and I'm not gonna think about it. Because if I stand here thinking about it, I'll there'll probably be a hundred reasons Talk not so to of it. Yeah. And and it was an absolute classic moment on on Killy where I was um literally straddled over a three hundred foot drop and I was you know hands around what was called kissing rock because you had to get so close to it you're practically kissing it and um it was that critical moment where you had to find the courage to just take the step Mm. and I really felt that I mean I think we've all had that especially if you're you know a speaker or you're walking out into a stage scenario or something and you've got that paralysis that freezing cold Mm. moment that sets in and you're feeling absolutely stuck and the only thing you can do is take the next step take that action because Mm. no rational person would do that (laughs) so you just do it anyway.
0: Yep. Yep and so Lisa does that stuff come purely from internal do you think? like just going just do it just take the step just go and do the thing just go and just it's okay we will be fine or is there other external things that that you find help you with accountability or having other people supporting you or competition or like what what other stuff outside of your own head kind of helps you if Mm. anything
1: um definitely um having your team so like the people that champion you that's Mm -hmm. so important so whenever I've had those big moments I think sometimes you need people to believe in you before you get there if you know what I mean before you believe in yourself because Mm -hmm. one of the things I know for sure is that our self-belief is a bit of a luxury and we can't always afford to wait for it to kick in. So we have to believe, you know, we have to know we can do the thing and try to do it anyway. And when we get there, self-belief kind of catches up, but you needed the people that champion you to say, you can do it. We believe in you. Let's go. And, you know, the encouragers. So obviously on the mountain for me, that was my family, but in business, that's often my, you know, your cheer squad, the people Mm that have got your back that really um, see see bigger things things than you can see for yourself. Mm. So that's definitely some. you know, I surround myself with those people. And, um, you know, needless to say also having that, a, a map, I suppose. So like on Killy, it was literally a map, but having a loose plan. So I, I'm all for having a goal and a plan, but also I say fix the goal, but don't fixate on it. So when we, you know, we're talking about like getting outcomes focused and just feeling like we're missing the journey because we're so focused on the outcome. If you don't know where you're going, if we think about Killy, if I didn't know where I was going, I'd still be on that mountain wandering around now, right? So you have to know where you're going, but you also don't want to become so fixated that that's all, all you think about. Mm. So yeah, so I think you need a, a loose plan, fixing a goal and the, the cheer squad that really Keep you, you know, keep you motivated, um, and it, and fi- you know, one other thing I thought was really um, insightful was that we. I always, in the copywriting, there's quite a lot of, you'll hear about fear-based copywriting and people using pain points to, you know, really help people make decisions. I've often felt a real a sort of internal struggle around, is that does that feel ethical? Does that feel right? Mm. That, as a nurse, I'm all about alleviating your pain, yeah, not right. putting my finger in it <laughs> and pressing it. Is that a bruise? Let me press it a bit harder. <laughs> it's like, no, that goes against my nature. But what I've found is that, It was fear that motivated me, fear that got me off the couch, fear that got me outside and fear became my, uh, you know, almost like the ignition to success. And it was really interesting to flip that fear equation
0: around. That's really interesting. I think um, I have this conversation with people quite a lot because I obviously work with content quite a lot and that sort of thing in my business as well. And I think there's a, I, I totally agree, I don't like pushing bruises and that sort of thing, but sometimes there's this connection and I, I totally agree because sometimes it's, it's like I don't really know what I want but I sure as hell know that I don't want this thing. So yeah. that is enough to, to make me a little bit, um, to make the taking of the risk, I suppose, Feel like a better option rather than sitting around continuing to allow something that I don't want or whatever you know other analogy yeah. there is with that. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a balance when you when you're in anything to do with mindset or your content or your your messaging and all of that sort of thing to to acknowledge what the shitty things are and acknowledge what the the negative stuff is, not to harp on about it and carry on and make people feel shit about it, but to, to kind of, yeah, I think it is, you you said it was the ignition to your success and I think that's a beautiful way to put it. This definitely puts a fire in my belly when I'm like, oh. <laughs> Oh, this doesn't feel very good. I'm getting out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that kind of looks like. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and I
1: think that was it. I really reconciled with fear at that point because it was like fear can actually be your friend. So, you know, it's just the way we use it. We use it with, you know, sincerity and integrity Mm. Um, as a writer. um, We can actually, you know, things change when we Mm. feel the sense of what we don't want.
0: Mm. Oh, absolutely. And when you can recognise and have the courage to go, oh, Definitely don't want that. Okay, <laughs> got to get out. Talk a lot yeah. about values and that sort of thing, and and it, and it can be very liberating when you actually connect with your values. But the problem is that you can then see all the gaps of where your life isn't aligned to your values, and that is scary as hell. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it, and once yeah. you see it, you've got to make some changes, and that can be really scary. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a conversation for another day, <laughs> Lisa. I have absolutely loved loved this conversation and I'm so so inspired by your amazing story and your courage and your adventuring and your mothering and all of those sort of things so I'll definitely be staying in touch and um, how can we how can we stay in touch how can anyone who's listening um, find you Oh, all the links on show notes, but obviously is <laughs> there an yeah. easy place to connect with you?
1: I'm um, pretty active on Facebook. So my Facebook page is Lisa Keneby Words That Shine. And that's where I tend to hang out and share a lot of my content and, um, you know, have the conversations that I love to have. So that would be a really great place to um, make contact. Yay. Oh, thanks so much.
0: Awesome. It's been an awesome conversation. Oh, it really has. I could talk to you for hours and hours and I'm sure we'll connect again at some point in the future. <laughs> awesome. All right, lovely. Awesome to chat with you and I will, yeah, see you on the flip side. Thanks for coming on the Recovering Perfectionist. Thank you. See ya. See ya.